We're going to look at a next bit of Nehemiah, and it's the bit where uh, Nehemiah does something quite strange. He takes his cloak off and he shakes it. And I thought I would do that with this coat. I don't know about you, but I like a big pocket. And uh, there are all manner of things in my pocket. And what's, what Jeremiah does is he takes his, his cloak off and he shakes it so that everything comes out. Uh, which is what I'm going to have a go at doing, because I'm going to show you how much I have in my pockets. I don't have a handbag. I don't have a man bag. I just... So Nehemiah takes and he shakes until there is nothing left in his robe. I think that's it. Let me just show you what we've got here. We've got uh, we've got dog treats. We've got poo bags for the dog. If any of you are in difficulty tonight, we can deal with that. (laughs) Cough sweets. More poo bags. These are biodegradable. These ones. Uh, I've got I've got a COVID mask just in case uh, anything else happens. Two phones, one church phone, one private phone. Two sets of keys, one church keys, one private set of keys. One set of headphones, various tickets to Cambridge United Games. We lost that one. Uh, Oh, a ticket to Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, What else have we got here? This is various things. I ought to get rid of these tickets. This is a ticket to an evening with Martin O'Neill. There you go, more football tickets. So, why does Nehemiah shake out and empty everything out of his coat? Well, we'll get to that. We're looking at the book of Nehemiah, it's a book in the Old Testament, it's a story about, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know this bit, if you're visiting us, we've always got visitors, just an explanation, I am preaching through the Old and New Testament, week in, or not week in, whenever I'm preaching, which any member of the staff or our preaching team preaches, they have their own book and they preach through that book of the Bible, and uh, I've been doing this for for. A long time. And uh, so we started in Genesis and then we go back, alternate between the Old and the New Testament. And Nehemiah is a book from about 500 years before Jesus. It's a story of uh, God's people uh, returning to Jerusalem, which has been um, battered and the temple had been destroyed. It's just been rebuilt, but there are no walls. And so because there are no walls, not to the temple, but to the city, then the, the city is vulnerable. It's not a prosperous place. It's a, it's a, a place where robbers and, and uh, people of violence can thrive because there's no security. And Nehemiah hears about this. Nehemiah is a slave hundreds of miles away, but this, and he's never been to Jerusalem but it's the place of his ancestors and he hears of it and he wants to go back inspired by God and to inspire them to rebuild the wall. When he gets there, discover that some 
of the local leaders are against him building the wall and they get angry with him. And uh, the more he prays, the more they seem to get angry with him. And we've talked about the balance between prayer and action and how he, he takes uh, a guard against the attack which might come. In the end, it never comes. But nevertheless, the people are discouraged by the resentment that they are experiencing. These are all old um, bits that we've looked at. They're all available on our YouTube channel. Or wherever you get your podcasts, you can look for Sutton Coldfield Baptist Church. And last time... We, looked, we skipped a chapter because it was Remembrance Sunday and chapter 6 was more appropriate for Remembrance Sunday and I said we would come back to chapter 5 so that's what we're going to do tonight. Now, the men and women and their wives raised again a great outcry against their fellow Judeans. So this isn't about the enemy, this is about in the camp, this is about the team, this is about conflict this is about division. There is an upset between people. There is argument going on. And there is resentment between the people. Why is there resentment? Well, we read it's because they are hungry. We and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. There isn't enough food. There is a cost of living crisis. There is not enough cheap food for people. It says, we are mortgaging our fields and vineyards and our homes to get grain during the famine. They're going into debt to pay for just to have enough to eat. And we're familiar with that kind of situation in our culture and our nation our world at this time for different reasons. We've had to borrow money in order to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. They are in debt. They've had to borrow to pay tax to pay for food. Now what happens in this culture is that there isn't a a welfare state. There isn't a set of um, benefits. There isn't um, a a refund from the state. If you go into debt, if you're hungry, you have the only option you've got is for the community to look after you or you sell yourself or you sell your children as a slave and you say, I will come and work for you for free, but please just give me food and shelter. So either you become a beggar or you become a slave. That's the only option. There is no welfare state. Although we have the same flesh and blood as the rest of our people, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved. They're already having to put their children out because they can't afford to feed them, so they put them into slavery. But the real issue here is that they are in debt to their own people. So people are selling them food, not giving them food. People are selling them food. Their own faith, their own community are selling them food. And because they can't afford to buy that food, they're having to borrow the money and put their children into slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved. We are powerless because our fields and vineyards belong to others. And I want to explore 
some questions about food poverty that we see here and that we see in our own world. Three questions that I want to explore. Firstly, what, why are some people poorer than others? Secondly, are there any good reasons not to help the poor? And thirdly, why does God get angry about people getting poor? Because we see all of these things in this passage. Nehemiah says, when I heard that outcry and these charges, I was very angry. So he's heard that his own people are, are, ang- are arguing with each other. They're divided because they haven't got enough food, because they're getting into debt, because they're having to sell their children into slavery. And it makes Nehemiah angry. And there may be things that we have read in the news. Well, let's rephrase it another way. I kind of hope there are things that we read in the news that make us angry. Why is Nehemiah angry? It could be that they're just moaning and complaining and he just says, why can't they shut up and put up with it? We will see that that isn't the reason he's angry. It could be that he feels a sense of blame and responsibility. And there are hints to that that he does kind of recognize that part of it is his own fault. And so there's a, maybe an element of anger with himself. But he's also angry because he thinks people are suffering unfairly, unjustly. That he doesn't want to see people hungry. He doesn't want to see people having to sell their children. He doesn't want to see it. And so it makes him angry because there's a sense of this shouldn't be happening. This is avoidable. This is wrong. And there are things that we read internationally or nationally. Things that we see on social media. That's wrong. That really, really shouldn't happen. So Nehemiah instantly sends off a massive tweet of anger. Actually, he doesn't. He pondered it in his mind. He stepped back and he goes, I'm not going to act on my anger. And you may remember, we looked for anger and we used this very famous quote, but it's worth just pulling back into it again. Uh, Aristotle, uh, we praise a man who feels angry and then he outlines the right kind of anger. He says, a man who feels angry on the right grounds against the right persons and also in the right manner, at the right moment, to the right length of time. And we acknowledged, if we're honest, that most of us mess up on one of those things. We get angry for the wrong reasons, the wrong grounds, or we get angry at the wrong people for the right reasons, or we get angry at the right people for the right reasons in the wrong way. And we say the wrong things. Or we get angry for the right reasons to the right people um, in the right way, at the wrong moment. Or we get angry for the right reasons to the right people in the right way, at the right moment, for the wrong length of time. We hold on to it. So Nehemiah ponders. He steps back and he goes, this has made me angry. I'm not going to fire off something 
I'm going to sleep on it. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to dwell on it. I'm going to compose myself. I am not, you know, we've said before, uh, never send an email, post something, anything at night. Cut yourself off at six o'clock and sleep on it. While he sleeps. We don't know how long he ponders it. Probably a few days. And then he accuses the leaders, the nobles and the officials, the people who are more well off. And he has a direct conversation with them and he creates an accusation. You are charging your own people interest. Now, what does that mean? It means that they are saying, uh, we've got the food, you're hungry, I'll tell you what we'll do, we'll lend you the money to buy the food off us and not only will we lend you the money to buy the food off us but we're going to charge you interest so when you pay the money back to us to buy the food off us we will make a profit out of it we will get whatever it is 1% or or, or so on it's interesting that in the Old Testament law the charging of interest was forbidden what kind of a world would we have if you were not allowed to charge interest. Well, unfortunately, the horse is bolted, but I suspect we'd have a lot happier world. So the accusation against these people is that their lack of generosity to people in need, they should have just given them the food. Don't charge them for the food. Just give them the food. And if you're just, and don't profit out of it. Don't make money out of somebody else's poverty. And that there's a lack of compassion for the consequences. You're sitting there and you know that your own flesh and blood, your own neighbours are selling their children into slavery while you're making money out of it. He is angry. There is a thing that Jesus says that I kind of, this is we quoted out of context, but I kind of wish he hadn't quite said it the way he'd said it. Because in the context of what he said, it means something completely different to the thousand times people have quoted it to me. And I think some of you know what he said. He said, you're always going to have the poor with you. What he meant and what he was talking about was the importance of valuing him there in the room. He didn't mean, just let the poor get on with it. And we as a church, as you know, help uh, with a food bank, with our Second Thoughts project, with lots of different ways in which we try to help. And we're battling all the time the reasons that we have within ourselves as to why it's not our problem. And very often people, and we instinctively feel this ourselves, that what we've got is ours, you know? Let's go back to that. What we've got is ours. We've earned it. We've worked for it. And the poor, well, they haven't worked hard for it. I was amazed when I looked this up. In the Bible... These guys who are wealthy are wealthy because they've got land. Land is always wealth. They've got land so they can grow crops. 
If I asked you how many times in the Bible God says, I gave you the land, how many times do you think that phrase is used? God gave the people the land. If I told you it's over 200 times, that phrase, over 200 times, the land was given you. It was given to you. It was given to you. You didn't earn it. It's not your right. You were given it. Even in Nehemiah, even while they were in their kingdom, enjoying their great goodness to them in the spacious and fertile land, you gave them, meaning God. They did not serve you or turn from their evil ways. Whatever we have, a home, a job, a pension, savings, a skill, a profession, a qualification, God gave it to us. And that's really hard for those of us in a more affluent part of the world to really take on board. It isn't ours. We came into the world naked. We will leave the world naked. We won't take it with us because it isn't ours. It's God's. And he's entrusted it to us in different measures, different bits. Some of us have more, some of us have less, but he's entrusted it to us. And often we think, well, we've worked really, really hard for this. Really hard. We have worked so hard for what we have. We deserve it. I, um, like many of you, observed at first hand the carers who came in four times a day to care for my mum in her latter stages of her life. On minimum wage working 12-hour shifts, not getting paid for the time it takes to journey from one client to another, only get paid for the time they're in the home, lifting, cleaning, dealing with confused, not my mum, but on many occasions, dealing with confused and angry and smelly. And I thought, you work far harder than me. Far harder than me. For whatever reasons, that salary is incredibly low. I'm going to show you a cartoon. It's no uh, proper church service without a cartoon, we know that. Charlie Brown says to his uh, dog, Snoopy, for your edification, I am reading from the book of Proverbs, 6th chapter, ninth verse. How long, you loafer, will you lie there? How long until you rise from your sleep? We can find lots of reasons why we feel other people deserve their situation. And Snoopy takes the Bible 
And he finds another verse which says, chapter 12, verse 10, a good man cares if his beast is hungry. And we will find far, far, far more verses that talk about God's response to the poor. So why are some people poorer than others? Why are there now, currently, uh, as we're looking in our church meeting, we were looking at the statistics, uh, um, over a thousand people a month seeking food from our food bank. Why are some people poorer than others? And what I've said to you before, and I want to just highlight it again, all the different reasons why folks are poor are all things that could have affected any of us. Any of us. But there is one thing that all the folks who come have in common. One thing they have in common. And that is they don't have parents, brothers and sisters, children, cousins, extended family who are able to help them out when all the other things go wrong. So all the other things that are, can go wrong in our lives will have happened to most of us in this room. So there'll be something in this room when you go, well, that's happened to me. And that may have put us into debt and into poverty. And there will be people I know among us who are in debt and who are struggling and who are recipients and gracious and grateful for the food that we provide in our food bank. And I know we are a community tonight that embraces those who are poorer and those who are richer. But those of us who are richer will be able to identify with this long list of things. But when things went wrong, we had savings, we had family, we had somebody who helped us out. So here's the list, uh, and you could make your own list. It could be more than this. Some folks uh, have made, uh, are the suffering from the mistakes of previous generations. They are suffering from the choices and, and the mistakes that parents and grandparents and great-grandparents made. And so there isn't the resources when things go wrong, when the washing machine busts, when you're laid off, when you're on a zero contract uh, job, when you are ill and you are not able to work that week, when all these things happen because of the mistakes of previous generations, there isn't the reserves, there is nothing there. Sometimes it's because uh, folks have had inadequate role models. They've not been taught how to manage food money. They've not been taught how to, to live and make sensible choices or build healthy relationships. And so all they've had from early upbringing is poor people to copy in terms of how to make uh, good choices in life. Some folks have had poor education. They have not been taught well. They have not been helped at school. They have not been able to be educated to the standard that some of us here in Sutton take for granted. Some people People have made their own mistakes in youth. They have made own choices that were foolish and unwise. But there, by the grace of God, certainly go I and every one of us. And I can hand out stones if we want to throw them. But every one of us has made foolish choices. But I got away with them. Some of those who are poorer have made poor choices more recently. They've chosen things. They've become addicted to things. There's a lack of planning, a lack of finding out what the future will hold. But again, if I ever ask you to raise your hand, if you're honest with yourself and say, I don't plan very well. 
There's many of us. And there are addictions. There is ill health. And many who come to our food bank have um, not been able to work. If something's gone wrong, but there is no buffer, there is no residue, there is nothing to fall back on. These are all the kinds of reasons, going back into Nehemiah, why some of them had land and some of them had already sold their land and lost their land. And some of those who are poorer among us have experienced poor mental health and restricted opportunity or discrimination because of color or race or age and not able to get the jobs or the opportunities that others of us have had because we are more privileged. Some who are poor in our world are poor because they happen to live in a place that is a place of war. And maybe they wanted to leave and who among us wouldn't want to leave. And maybe they've crossed continents because they feared for their lives. Maybe because they were Christians. Maybe because they were just the victims of political leaders who feel that having somebody else's land makes them more important. And maybe they've been displaced For whatever reason, the home has gone, maybe through climate change and famine, and they've had to move to find food. Maybe they have been bereaved and they have lost a person in their life who managed finances for them and cared for them and looked after and explained things for them. And maybe it's simply an economic climate where there is a recession, where there is unemployment, where it's just harder to get what they need in life. And maybe they've experienced theft and had something stolen. Maybe, as I've come across, someone having their entire life savings stolen through fraud. There are a load of reasons why folks are poor. And what happens is you get into a trap. You get into a trap in Nehemiah's days because what you have to do is borrow to buy the food that you need. Once you've got to borrow the money, you've also got to give the money back, but you've got to give back the interest. And, and once you give back the interest, the only way to get that, if, there, if your income isn't there, is to sell. And once you start run out of things to sell, you sell your, your children. Once you've run out of things completely, you sell yourself and then you're stuck and trapped because nothing can redeem you from that enslavement. In our own world, there are traps that we see and pick up through our conversations with those who join us on the food bank. One of the things that's most unfair is the fact that for many things, the less money you have, the more expensive per thing it is. If you can bulk buy your dog food or your cereal or your pasta, you pay less. If you can't afford that week to buy that much dog food, that much pasta, you have to buy the, what you've got in your pocket that, and you're going to pay more per pasta twirl. It's more expensive to be poor. 
It's more expensive if you can't afford to buy the bigger quantities because you don't simply have that money. There are things where uh, there are you you forced to buy the cheaper item and the cheaper item doesn't last as long. So you end up spending more money because you buy more pairs of shoes because you can't afford to buy a pair of shoes that last, so you buy a pair of shoes that don't last. And we think, well, why don't you just buy the more expensive shoes? Because the only way to buy the more expensive shoes is to go into debt. And if you are in debt, then you get charged more for the money you borrow because your credit rating's gone. So once you're trapped in a moment of not being able to pay back your credit card, it goes up and up and up. And if you can't pay for your electricity, they put you on a meter. And what do they charge? They charge you more per energy, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Unit, thank you. More per unit on a meter than if you pay by direct debit. If you have the money, it's cheaper. If they're worried that you won't be able to pay, charge you more. And once you turn up for a job and you're wearing the cheap shoes or you're driving the broken down car, some employers will go, oh, I'm not so sure. They don't look very smart. They look a bit poor to me. And so there are many here in our food bank who are trapped because once yeah, go below. It's so hard to get out. David Donaldson says this, the poor are not selected at random. They tend to be the people whom the powerful can afford to neglect without endangering their own political, professional, or commercial prospects. They are the people for whom it is not worth opening a decent shop or branch. The people who do not complain if their rubbish is not removed, if their schools rot or nothing is repaired. And if they complain, who cares? That's one of the reasons why this coming year we'll be celebrating 30 years of commitment to Falcon Lodge Estate through Second Thoughts and now our partnership with Falcon Lodge Chapel. Because there are places that get left because they're only a small pocket and their voice isn't very loud. And these people complained to Nehemiah. We may think that we have worked hard, but I believe you me, there are folks who are far poorer than me who work harder than me. It may be that we say, well, I don't know. And when Nehemiah accused the nobles and the officials of exploiting and profiting and not caring about their own people being hungry, they kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. And so Nehemiah is such a great guy, it says, so I continued. (laughs) I've gotten them quiet. I've told them you're exploiting the poor. You're benefiting from people being poorer than you. And they're silent. So it keeps going. So I continued. What you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? 
He's saying, you guys need to be really scared of God now on this. Because if, I, because he's kind of saying, really, the way you are treating your own people dishonors me, dishonors God in front of the whole of the world. Why fear God if we're not caring for the poor? I guess it's fairly obvious. But God loves everyone. That means he loves the poor. And when we're praying our prayers, he is also listening to the prayers of mothers who cannot feed their children. And it grieves him. And it makes him angry if his people do nothing. And Nehemiah says to these guys, you need to be afraid of what God is thinking about this. You need to be so afraid that it changes. You need to walk a different walk because you're walking in the fear of our God. You need to do a different thing. You need to behave differently towards the poor. And we need a good answer when we get to heaven. And he says, what did you do with the land I gave you, with the breath I gave you, with the life I gave you, with the resources I gave you, with the income I gave you? What did you do with it? We've looked at this with, in our series in Luke, stories that, Luke, uh, that Jesus told in Luke. We did it one this morning. We did one four weeks ago. They're on our website as well, where Jesus tells a story, of, firstly, of the, of the, the, the guy who's, uh, the, the servants who were given uh, coins, talents, and whether they use them for God or not. And then we look this morning at the story of the vineyard. The tenants who God says, what have you done with what I gave you? We have to love our neighbor. And if they are hungry, we have to do what we can to help so Nehemiah says, I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people and grain. He's saying, I'm sorry, guys, I've been involved in this. I recognize that I too have done the wrong things. So let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, what they've given to you to pay off their debts. Give it back. Cancel the debt. Just give them the, the food for free. Don't expect payment for it. Give it back. And the interest. They were charging 1%. Put things right. And they say, we will give it back. We will not demand anything from them. We will do as you, you say. And I summoned the priests and made the nobles and the officials take an oath to do what they had promised. It's a really important thing. We're going to, we're going to have a little oath in our baptism service next week. We do, ones, we do one at weddings. We do one at dedications. But we don't do one with the offering. <laughs> we'll leave that to you. But these guys, you are going to give that money back and you're going to make a promise in front of the priests that this is what you are going to do. And I shook. Here we go. He took his robe, 
And he shook out his robe and he said, In this way, may God shake out of your house the possessions of anyone who does not keep the promise. So he takes his robe, he shakes it out, everything comes off out of his pockets. And he says, look guys, all this stuff, if you don't do, if you don't care for the poor among you, then may God take away all your phones, all your keys, all your poo bags, all your cough suites, all your headphones, and all your tickets to rubbish football matches. And the whole assembly praised the Lord. (laughs) Why did they praise God? Amen, and praise the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Why did they praise God? Because repentance brings freedom and joy. There is a celebration of going, I've put myself right. I've put my bank balance, I've put my finances, I've put my giving right with you, God. And it just feels good. I feel clean. And I say, thank you, God, that you forgive. Thank you, God, that you bring new life and a new way of living. And so we praise God because we are clean. And generosity aligns us to God's heart. And they praise him. They feel we're at one with God. We're not distant. We're not separate. We're not feeling guilty. We're not anxious anymore. We've come to a place of peace with God because he has taken control of our pockets. And we praise God because we love his compassion for others. And the chapter goes on and explains how they made this a real lifelong commitment. For 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. He's saying, look, the one thing I could do is I was supposed to have really posh and fancy food because I was the governor. But for my entire time, we didn't have what a governor would normally have. We shared it out. We may say we didn't know. Or we may say we can't afford it. And I know that there are folks among us who can't afford very much. But we know too that in the poorest communities, we may not be able to give, but we can share. And we look for the ways in which we can give just the widow's offering, just the little bit, just a little bit. If when you buy one and get one free, you were just able to give us the one you got free to the food bank. Martin Luther King, nobody makes a greater mistake than he who did nothing because he could only do a little. All it takes for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. There is a cost of living crisis. There are many in our community whose mortgages have gone so high or are going to go so high that there is real anxiety in our church. And it's difficult to know all that we can do. We can provide the food bank. We can hopefully encourage you to build relationships with one another such that you know what's going on and the people around you. And privately, maybe anonymously, you may be able to help from time to time. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people. 
He says, look, I'm going to live differently to what has been done before. I'm not going to do what's always been done. I'm going to change the way it used to be. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall, and all my men assembled there for a week. We did not acquire any land, no profit. We're just doing it for God. We're not doing this for material reward. Furthermore, uh, he says he invited people just into his own home to eat with them. And maybe that's something we can do, is just to offer hospitality. Just say, let's go out and I'll pay. Come to my house and share my meal. And they shared each day with lots of people who came to the governor's place. And he never demanded the food allotted. And he concludes with this verse. Remember me with favor, my God, for I have done this for these people. We want to say to God, Lord, I don't have much. And I'd love to have a lot more, but I just want to give you and share what I've got. Um, There's a bit where Paul talks to Timothy that just I'm going to read. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor put their trust in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. It's hard for us in Sutton to hear that, isn't it? Trouble is, it keeps going. Who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good. To be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, They will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Martin Luther King's quote, what are you doing for others? Our questions for reflection. Firstly, what are the opportunities for us to do, to share in God's care for the poor? How might we do that? What might that look like? I'll give you a couple of suggestions, but there will be other things that go on in your life that you know about. And where might our lifestyle need to change? Where might God say, I just need you to live a little bit simpler. I need you just to release just a little bit more. Two obvious ways you can do that we've talked about so much as a church. You can continually and regularly support the food bank here and the folks that we give to. You can support in two ways. You can either bring a, a proportion of your shopping every week to you, with you to church on a Sunday. Dried food, tinned food. The list's on our website. If you go there, it'll tell you where it is. Or you can set up a donation, a standing order, every week and we will provide and buy the food that we haven't had donated so that we can make sure that people have enough to not starve. You can make a donation as you go out on our uh, iPad 
you could buy hundreds of calendars that uh, our photography group have created for 2024 as a reminder of the food bank and enable folks uh, who you give presents to to know about our food bank. You buy them a calendar. You say this is about our, this is donated, uh, made by members of our church, and the money goes to our food bank. So you can do that at the end as you go out. That's about Sutton Coalfield. There are lots of other charities that you'll be aware of that support people around the world, and you may have your own particular ones. I would encourage you to have a standing order to different charities. You just commit to it and you give it. But if you don't know where to start, one of the ones that we use a lot as a church is Compassion, where you take and lift a child out of poverty around the world. And you encourage and sponsor a a child throughout their um, education and childhood. And that lifts that child and their siblings and their family and sometimes their village out of poverty. Um, We trust and know that charity. If you don't know where to begin, that's a good one. Compassion UK. God is committed to the poor. And to be a disciple of Jesus is to follow in his footsteps and to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to give water to the thirsty. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It's part of the deal. And when we do it, it feels good. And we go, praise God that he has called me to make this world a better place.